Good morning, friends. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. If you're in the chat, type in the chat, I'm glad you logged on today. Turn to the person on the other side and say, I'm glad you're here. There you go, you're getting there, all right. Well, hey, good morning. If we haven't met yet, uh, as Katie said, my name is Dave Maxey. Uh, I'm one of the staff here at Trinity, and it is just my privilege to be here with you this morning. Uh, again, welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, we're just happy to have you as well, so make sure to say hi if you haven't done so. Uh, we are actually, just to kind of get everyone up on the same page, we have been in a series called Exiles, which is really a, a topical study through the book of Titus. And uh, Titus is really a, Titus was a minister that was actually raised up by Paul, and Paul is beginning to give instructions to Titus in regards to building and organizing the church in this area that Titus was beginning to step into. And we have found at this point that uh, Paul begins to give instructions about leadership, but those also, those same instructions don't just apply to elders or overseers in the church, they apply to all believers. And this is the point at which we are at this morning. So when we look at the things that, that Paul is saying to Titus, we know that they apply to you and I. And we've covered uh, quite a bit of ground. We're going to pick up again and just dive right in. This is Titus chapter 1, looking at verse 7. And here's what it says. For as an overseer, as God's steward, uh, for an overseer, as God's steward, again, all Christ followers, all believers as well, we must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent, and then here's our topic today, or greedy for gain. And I just want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we uh, take a moment just to ask God to reveal us uh, what he's speaking to us this morning. Will you pray with me? And so, Father, this morning we just take, take a moment just to breathe. We, we've acknowledged in song that uh, we worship you for who you are. And, and there is no one like you. And the light that you've given us, we, we take to this world, Lord, this dark world. And, and we thank you, God, that as we look at your scripture, as we springboard off this idea of greedy for gain. Holy Spirit, we need you in this moment. Whether you're a person listening online right now in this moment or, or hours or days or years from now or whether you're here in this room with me. Lord, we, we join together and we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us fresh and new to hear what you have for us. And God, I pray today, uh, not, not out of obligation or just rhythm or pattern, uh, Lord, I put weight on the, the thought that if things are just of me, would you just let those be forgotten? But God, we want to hear from you here this morning. And so I pray that you would uh, reveal to us what you're speaking to us uh, even all the more as we, uh, we look at your word. In your name we pray, amen. So greedy for gain. Uh, maybe you've heard the word greedy many times. I think we're familiar with that. It's, it's interesting though, the phrase greedy for gain is probably not something that we use often. And so we, we actually see this phrase found in 1 Timothy 1.8 as well in the same original language, which I won't attempt in Greek to try and uh, pronounce this morning. That same phrase or, or original uh, word, root word, is found in 1 Peter 5 verse 2. However, you may have heard shameful gain. That's, that's what is written in 1 Peter, uh, again, verse uh, 5. There, or chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, here in Titus, though, it's actually used as an adjective. 
And in this case, if we put all that information together, I think I'll just give us kind of a simple definition, which will really be our springboard as we're going to kind of move forward together with this idea today. So greedy for gain, we could say it means this. It is to be fond of dishonest gain, to pursue money or possessions in ways that are incongruent with truth. Let me read that one more time for us. Greedy for gain means to be fond of dishonest gain or to pursue money or possessions in ways that are incongruent with truth. Now, I actually love that phrase, incongruent with truth, because I think sometimes when we think of the idea of, of greed, we think specific to money and we think of like lying and embezzlement and all sorts of stealing and those kinds of things. And yet, if we are living in ways that are incongruent with truth, we can actually do that having never said a word. And so as we dive a little bit deeper into this text, I also think that sometimes we've, we've practiced doing this even from childhood. You know, the, the Bible is, is very clear that, that the, the, the heart of man apart from Christ is evil even from birth. That's just the way things are. That's the, the fallen nature that we have. We need Jesus. And as we grow, the, the hope would be we mature and we become more like Christ. But, you know, I, I can think back to when I was a younger kid, my older sister Pam, who's two years older than I, we had an opportunity. We were going to be home alone for just a couple days. My parents were going to go off uh, on a little trip, and this was set up that my grandma and grandpa were going to come. They were going to stay in a camper in the driveway, and we got a little bit of a freedom to just stay in the house, and uh, this is what was going to happen over the, the couple of days. And of course, my grandma had a rhythm. She would knock on the door, make sure everything was okay, and uh, you know, just make sure we didn't burn anything down, and she would go back out to their camper. She would do that every couple hours or so throughout the day. And of course, as soon as my parents left the house, we did probably what most of your children do and probably mine. Uh, we simply started rummaging through everything and opened cupboard doors and kind of saw, you know, what, what do we have here? What do we have there? And we found a gold mine in that we found a recipe for cookies. And at that time, we're thinking to ourselves, wow, it, it kind of looks like you put all this stuff together and, and there's even a, a, a number that you set the oven at and, and I'm pretty sure like cookies will come out in the end. And so uh, we waited to the rhythm of my grandma to come in the door and see how everything was. Everything's good, grandma. As soon as she left the door, we went to work. We grabbed all the ingredients and we, we actually began to put them all together, mix, followed the directions to a letter, actually got it right and out pops a dozen cookies. And we immediately realized like these things are amazing amazing, like fresh out of the oven. But we knew if grandma found out, like they would be taken away from us. And so we just started eating cookies, my sister and I. And uh, fresh, I mean, how many of you had cookies fresh out of the oven? You know exactly what I mean, right? There's nothing like them, right? So we started eating cookies and then we, we waited just a little longer. Grandma knocked on the door. Everything okay? Yep, everything's good. Everything's good. As soon as she walked out the door, we made another dozen cookies and we started just kind of doing that real rhythm. And I don't, I'm not really sure how many dozen we went through, but we went through plenty of cookies where we just literally baked Make the cookies, eat them right off the pan, make another batch, cook them, and we did that for quite some time. And, uh, you know, in that moment, we were completely convinced that what we needed was cookies and they were absolutely best for us until somewhere around midnight. And uh, I remember my sister beat me to the bathroom and you've heard the phrase, lose your cookies. We literally lost our cookies through most of the evening because we'd eaten so much sugar and, and so much cookies. Sometimes we, you know, we, we practice this idea of like, I don't want to lose it, so I, I need more and more. Even as kids, we often have done this. And, and the interesting thing is we don't always attribute these things to what we would say is, well, that's greedy, right? Well, it's just kids being kids. 
And, and I think there's a little bit more to this story as we begin to unpack this morning. But Paul is saying to Titus, hey, as a Christ follower, as a leader in the church, find people who are not, they're not fond or they enjoy dishonest ways to get money and even possessions from other people. That's not who we should be, right? That's not the type of person we should be. You need to find people, and as Christ followers, we should be people who are living in ways that line up with God's view of his creation, in ways that are congruent, in ways that are equal to the truth that God says about you and I. And I think there's really a bigger idea that's kind of the undercurrent of, of really where we're going to go today. Really, why does this even matter? And I would say it like this. The way we handle our money and possessions will always reveal the level of spiritual maturity that's in our hearts. And this is true. This is, this is just the case. And now, here's the thing. The moment I said money and possessions, that word money, I saw some of you reach for your wallets a little tighter and grab your purse and pull it a little closer. And this is not a message where uh, we're going to be passing the offering plate twice and see how well you do. We're not trying to raise money for Dave to have a plane to fly across the country. That's not what this is about. So I just want to let the air a little bit out of the room. I want to give us four observations about this whole idea of greedy for gain as we begin. The first observation that we can all kind of Take a, take a deep breath and just relax a minute. Here is this. The phrase greedy for gain, it's not my words. It's God's words, right? And so when, when, when God gives us instructions in his scripture, I think we need to pay attention, not because Dave's saying it or you're saying it or we're saying it together, but because God says it in his word. Observation one. Observation number two, it's interesting that if you study out the, uh, the Gospels and you begin to look at, at Jesus and his instructions as he began to gather disciples together, you will find that he actually talked quite a bit about money. Now, it is definitely not the only subject that he talked about. Uh, he often talked about money and possessions, though. Actually, 11 of the 39 parables deal with money or possessions, which is roughly one out of every seven verses in the Gospels have to do with money or possessions. Jesus own instructions. Now, Jesus was not starting uh, an Amway scheme. He was not doing a pyramid scheme, right? He was not after a quick buck. That's not the reason he was dealing with money and possessions. Uh, and, and as we look at this, sometimes we, we might think that. I, I, would, I would say it like this. Jesus knew that money and possessions are both benign amplifiers that reflect the condition of our heart. And I, I would say that is why Jesus often spoke of money and possessions and how we deal with those things because how we deal with money and possessions reveal to us what's really going on on the inside. It reveals to us our, our level of trust and faith. Money is not good or bad. You might have heard it said, I uh, heard this just on the Hallmark Channel the other day, well, money is the root of all evil. Scripture does not say that. It's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is simply a benign tool. It's what we do with it, what we seek to get, how we handle it in our hearts. Money just reveals that as well as our possessions. Observation number three, God is good always. God is good always. And that means when God gives us an instruction and sometimes when it comes to money, we're like, eh, you know, hands off. Like, you, I, I know you people, you know, I, I told you we shouldn't have went to that Trinity church. They just want my money, right? We have these kind of sometimes visceral reactions, but here is the reality. God is good always. So if we find ourselves in that place a little bit, we need to understand that God is never trying to take good things from us. He's always trying to get good things to us. Now, here's the caveat. 
good is not as we define good. Good is as God defines good. So good in God's eyes are number one, all things that bring him glory. And number two, anything that would make us look more like Jesus is good in God's eyes. Those are the ultimate things. And so we can look at Romans chapter eight, verse 29, and it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's that place that God says, this is good. God's goodness is first about his glory and second about us looking like Jesus because from the inside out, the more we're transformed into Jesus, the more our joy is full and the more we honor and glorify him. Fourth observation, there is never a formula where you and I can follow that will ever place God in our debt. And I think it's important, particularly because greed has this two sides. One is money, the other side is possessions, which we'll, we'll begin to unpack. But, but often in this day and age where we, maybe you've heard the, the idea of prosperity gospel, like God wants me healthy, wealthy, blessed at all things and all circumstances, and that, that wealthy, blessed part is actually as I define it, not as God defines it. It can be pretty, pretty easy to get confused and think, well, if I give God a dollar, then he owes me 10. If I give God 10, he owes me 20, he owes me 100. And that's just simply not the case. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that information here this morning, but simply to understand that there is no formula we can follow that would make God owe us, that would, that would twist his arm into saying, oh, you know, I owe you, Dave, you gave me, you gave me a hundred dollar bill, so there's a thousand coming your way. That's not what scripture teaches. So seeking to be generous, which is the opposite of greed, isn't so that you and I could get more money or things from God. Faith is not the currency to get stuff from a creator in the sky. The, the point of all these things, my, my intentional act of surrender, my pursuing his renewing of my mind and my thoughts and my will, the pursuit of being generous and not greedy at heart, all of these things, they're acts of worship, not mere duty. They're not just doing the right thing. They're not just morality. We're just saying, I will worship you for who you are, right? And, and just the idea that as I see God for who he is, I want to respond by placing him first. And we see this kind of picture in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then we get a picture into to how we actually do this in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will of, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and here's that picture that as we seek to, to look more like Christ and look more like Jesus and we're being transformed, living generous is actually God's will for our life. It requires us to have the mind of Christ and it's an act of worship, not an act of duty. All right, Dave, I'm, I'm with you. And here's the thing, you know, the, the whole idea about greed, that, that doesn't apply to me anyway because, uh, you know, I'm not some billionaire, you know, tycoon who, who works on Wall Street just trying to scam poor people out of their money. That's not me, right? So this doesn't apply to me at all. And I would say, you know, you're, you're probably right about that part of it. But I would submit today that greed isn't just about a specific dollar amount, it's not just about a, a large quantity of things, it's really about a bigger question, and here's that question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Thank you. Here's the question. What would we do to gain more 
and why would we do it? What would we do to gain more and why would we do it? This, this is the undercurrent of, of greedy for gain. What are, what are we talking about? And we've got this area of money, finances, possessions, and things that we'll, we'll begin to unpack. And here's the truth of it. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, that he, he said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The reality of this area, along with all the things that we are talking about, it is really a discipleship issue. Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you, I'll transform you into fishers of men, into something that multiplies what I'm giving to you. You know, our vision here at Trinity, you may have heard this, uh, we've, we've got it at various places around the building, and we would say, we exist, first of all, to glorify God and to make disciples. And we, we seek to do that by awaking people to full life with Christ. That's our, that's our mission. That's the, the big purpose of why we are here. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by awakening people to full life with Christ. Greedy for gain is a disciple-making issue. And I, and I would say this, often we say that phrase and you might think, of course, like I'm an American, Dave. I definitely I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? right? Like I have been here two times out of the entire last four weeks. I'm definitely a disciple of Jesus, right? I log on and I actually get out of bed to watch service. I'm definitely a disciple of Jesus, right? Fill in whatever that blank might be for you. But I think it's important to look at Jesus' words and what do we actually mean when we say a disciple. As we just read, Jesus said, and follow me, there's that invitation from Jesus himself, and I will make you fishers of men. And we can say it like this, a disciple then is one who is following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and then here's this, and on mission with Jesus to multiply. That's what we seek to be here at Trinity. And so, so greedy for gain, being generous is really a discipleship issue. It's not just a discipline of give me your money. It has nothing to do with the things themselves. It's a hard issue of the more we look like Jesus, the more we grow into his image, the more a mature disciple of Jesus will see money and possessions as simply tools to create an eternal impact. For the greedy, Gaining money and possessions, well, they're to be achieved regardless of who gets hurt and for the purpose of having more pleasure that's temporary in this life. So the opposite of greed here this morning, as we just said, is actually generosity. We reflect Jesus. We reflect our Father, our Creator, who is the most generous being there ever is. And the generous or giving heart is who we're to reflect. It's not, it's not just for the rich or poor when we talk about generosity. It's, it's not just for elders in a church or, or just leaders. It's for all of us that we would reflect our creator, that we would be generous. It's really a discipleship issue, a disciple-making issue. So, as we begin to dive a little deeper, how do we identify what greed might look like in our hearts? And I think this gets a little bit tricky again because sometimes we, we tend to think, and, and at least I know I do again, that, that I'm, a, I'm a little removed from that, that kind of thing. I've, I've not taken millions. I've not embezzled money. I've, not, I've never been in jail for that. I've never been in jail, period, but let alone for, for money, uh, you know, reason stealing or anything like that. And yet, I think there's deeper truths of that. Money and possessions, as we just talked about a moment ago, remember these were the litmus tests often that Jesus would use to kind of uncover desires in, in our heart. Uh, Hebrews, uh, I believe this is chapter 13, verse 5, says it like this. 
keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And I think as we look at this little, this scripture here, there are probably other ways that we could, we could look to identify greed in our heart, but I think there's three that I just want to pull out from this text that I think are, are very helpful. Keep your life free from the love of money. Often that, that word love of money in this phrase, we could look at it from the obsession of money, right? From, from valuing that above all things. And so number one, how do I identify maybe greed in my heart, greedy for gain? I would say this, pay attention to your obsessions, What do you find yourself constantly thinking about or worrying about, talking about? These are areas of discontentment in our life. Greed is never satisfied. Greed always wants more. And and even if it's not money in that area of possessions, there's a lot of space in there. And oftentimes we obsess about what we don't have. And this can be something that, that is uncovering really the realities of what's happening in my heart. The, the mindset and the willingness over, over enjoyment, over manipulating and hurting other people is, is kind of what greed does as well. Greed is willing and, and even to enjoy kind of manipulating and, and taking uh, advantage of another person in order to get those things that we often obsess about. And we can do that with many, many things, not just money. But this can be an identifier of, of what is it that could help me see what, what are the obsessions in my life might very well be uncovering an area of greed in my heart. Second way that I think in this text in Hebrews that is, that is helpful to help us uncover is this. Pay attention to what you fear you could never lose. Greed often reveals itself through a fear of losing something that we perceive we will never get back. And this gets back kind of the heart of, of things. If, if, if God is asking me to let go of something, well, he's taking something that I've deemed good. So obviously he's, he's just missing it. God, like, how could you ask me to give up that or my time or, or, or whether it's a dollar amount or a possession or whatever it is, it's not that God is trying to take something as we just said, he's trying to give something to you. But often we, we have this fear. If I get rid of that, if I let that go, I'll, ne- I'll never get it again. And obviously I need it. I remember God dealing with this in my heart um, years ago, uh, continuing to this day, I would just say, but this journey, one particular occasion in, in 2004, uh, my wife Bethany and I were kind of processing transportation back and forth to work. And I had figured out on paper that it was actually cheaper for us to buy a motorcycle for me and go back and forth to work that way. And to my surprise, I pitched the idea to her and she said, sure. Right? You get a thumbs up to buy a motorcycle from your wife, you go buy a motorcycle, guys. Like, that's just how it works. Uh, and so in 2004, uh, you know, I'd always ridden dirt bikes and things like that off-road, but this was my first road bike, and we didn't have a ton of money at that time, and so it was a, a 2004 Honda Rebel 250. Now, just to kind of give you an idea, I'm, I'm six foot even, long legs, and so it was kind of, it kind of looked like I was riding a squirrel when I was on this motorcycle. It was, it was not super huge, but it was my first motorcycle. I loved it. And uh, you know, if you looked left, it would just go left. And so I spent a lot of time. The thing about the motorcycle is it got 72 miles to the gallon, which was incredible. And so, uh, you know, definitely doing the, the plan that I had that we we're going to save a little money in gas. 
So I, I rode that thing back and forth when the weather was nice. I, I rode it in pouring rain at times and kind of leading sideways into the wind and, and just a lot of miles on that bike. I customized it. I had it painted. I moved the gas tank and changed angles on the fender and did some other stuff to it and I made it my own. Uh, and then uh, we, we were sitting in a service much like this one time and they, uh, they announced that there was a mission trip to Bogota, Colombia. That was an opportunity. And in that moment, um, I felt in my heart that God was saying, you need to go on that mission trip. Now, here's the thing about Dave at that point in my life. So I was born in Flint, been in Michigan my whole entire life. I would use my, I would refer to myself as a homebody. The desire of like leaving and just going, let alone out of the country, was just not on my radar. Uh, but yet God was doing something in my heart at that time. And I just felt like yeah, we need to go on that trip. And I remember uh, talking to Bethy and I because there was, a, there, there was a cost involved that we were kind of processing. And very quickly, I felt like God was saying, you need to, you need to sell your motorcycle to go on that trip. I will, like, God, you don't have any idea how long it took us to pay that off. Like, I made it my own. Like, there's, there's no way. And I remember wrestling back and through uh, with God, like, you know, get rid of the motorcycle. And then they announced that they were actually doing a, an auction. And so you could bring anything that you wanted. Uh, it would be auctioned off. And then the money would go to those that were going on this, uh, this two-week mission trip to, to Columbia. And so uh, after wrestling back and forth with, uh, with God, I was able to put the motorcycle in it. And you know, that motorcycle sold for the exact amount that I needed to go on the trip. Okay, maybe God's doing something here. All right, fine. All right. And, and, and just wrestling with letting it go, letting it go because God, I'll never get another motorcycle again. Like I'll never, and, and I obviously need it, right? And so that was when, when God began to deal in my heart and, and, and let it go, he, he began to provide, and now, I want to be clear, um, am I saying that God, you know, God wants all your stuff? I, I say this, I've had three motorcycles since that day, and so certainly, now, motorcycles are not needs, they're wants, they're first world problems, let's be clear about that. Am I saying if you give God a motorcycle, he owes you three? No, 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 that's not what we're saying here at all. Uh, God was using those possessions that I had to do something in my heart, and I can tell you this, when I went on that trip, it was incredible, it was it wasn't just the people we were able to minister, the stories that we could tell of what God had done was just incredible. But it was, for me, it was the transformation of God saying, you know, there's some places that you've just been unwilling to step into that I want to uncover. And, and God began to do some incredible works in my heart. That trip actually led to another trip. I was able to go to South Africa, and one quick story from that, uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the sun and I don't get along very well, like I burn really, really, really quick, but hey, we were out in the middle of nowhere, it was hot, and we're, we're just walking as a group in some of these villages, and I saw, I saw this old lady, who older gal, she, she looked much older than I was, sitting in a rocking chair um, in this little kind of a, a hut, no, no glass in the window, she was just sitting there, and it's like, we need to just go stop and talk to her, and so we, we, we stopped in this little village area and began to share with her, found out that she was a hundred years old, sitting in this rocking chair. She had an Afghan covering her legs. It was probably 96 degrees out, right? Sweating to death, burning. And we were able to share the gospel with her and she received Christ in that moment that day. And I could tell you story after story of just the fact that God did some incredible things was just my willingness to say, I'm letting it go. But oftentimes we, we think, well, I, I can't let go of that because obviously I need it. If you need it, God will provide it. So what might God be calling you 
to let go out of fear. If, if fear is the only thing stopping you, that, that might be a place to, to uncover what greed might be in your heart. And maybe it's not in a place that you think, I, you know, maybe I've, I've got to have six months of savings in the bank or I just don't have peace, right? And, or I've got to have three cars in case one breaks down or I'd, I'll just worry if I, I won't have transportation. I've, I've got to have more clothes in my closet than anyone could wear in a year. I feel like I just don't have enough. Whatever that space is for you, uh, we would also say just a little side thought, we're, we're not talking about natural wisdom here, right? Uh, Katie mentioned a moment ago that in January we have Financial Peace University. If, if that is a place where you need help with finances, highly recommend that is wisdom that God has given us to manage the money that he's given us. Take that class that's happening in January. Be part of that. That's, we're not talking about ignoring wisdom here. We're actually talking about the areas that, that we fully believe in our hearts that, that if I give that up, God's just not big enough to take care of my needs, right? This is, this is what greed would, would say and, and would do. If we, if we just kind of hang on to it a little bit tighter, we'll give ourselves a little bit more insurance just in case things don't really come through. Like I have a little bit more peace and instead of trusting him, I'm trusting in my possessions, you know, we, we do this oftentimes with, with other things. You know, it, we talk about, you know, kids and, and cookies. How often do we, uh, do we do things where, um, you know, maybe you're in the store and, and you find that one shirt that's on sale and you're not quite ready to buy it and you take it and you kind of hide it in the rack, right? And you put all, all the other things around because you don't want anyone else to find it because you're going to come back later. Have you ever done that? I've done that. Maybe I'm just a terrible person in the room. Um, you know, as we, as we grow up, I remember my cousins used to come over and I would take all my toys when they would come over and I would hide them away because I didn't want them taking them and breaking them, right? right? The idea, so you've got a quart of ice cream, lots of people in your family, and you, you scoop that extra scoop just in case you want more uh, and you don't want anyone else getting it. You know, I actually did that last Thursday, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But right? these are places where we often don't think about them as greedy, and yet God would want to uncover these places in our hearts. So pay attention to what you fear you could never lose. The last area that would help us uncover this is, is pay attention to where you never feel satisfied. This is an interesting story that happened on March 1st. The day after the first coronavirus death in the United States was announced, brothers Matt and Noah Colvin set out in a silver SUV to pick up some hand sanitizer. Driving around Chattanooga, Tennessee, they hit a Dollar Tree, then a Walmart, a Staples, a Home Depot. At each store, they cleaned out the shelves. And over the next three days, Noah Colvin took a 1,300-mile road trip across Tennessee and into Kentucky, filling a U-Haul truck with thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer and thousands of packets of antibacterial wipes, mostly from little hole-in-the-wall dollar stores in the backwoods, his brother said. The metro areas were totally cleaned out already. Matt Colvin stayed home near Chattanooga, preparing for pallets of even more wipes and sanitizers he had ordered, and started to list them on Amazon, in which he said he posted 300 bottles of hand sanitizer and immediately sold them all for between $8 and $70 each, multiples higher than what had been, uh, they had been purchased for. It was crazy money. And so how much is enough, right? Now, this story is interesting that there's a little bit of financial greed that's in there. Maybe it was entrepreneurship. I don't know. There's a little bit of argument in that space. But how much is enough? 
right? How, how many actually bought more toilet paper, not because you needed any during COVID, but you just couldn't figure out where everyone was buying it and you didn't want to be out either, so you went and bought more toilet paper, right? Uh, how much is enough? And so, um, you know, as we talk about this, I, I think for me, as I begin to process this a little bit, God, what, what does this look like in my own life? What, is, what does it look like for us as, as an American church in the body of Christ? It, it felt to me like it's easy for me to kind of separate some of these things and, and to think, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a greedy person over money, right? That, that's not really what I, I deal with in my heart. And I feel like God... God, begin to uncover something in me. Let me just, let's just talk as friends here this morning, right? I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a regular redheaded dude, used to be from, from Flint, right? Um, there's a space that I think we're, we're greedy over that we don't realize. And maybe it's, maybe it's a challenge more for the American church. I don't know. It's, it's a challenge for me at times. How, how much truth do we need to hear before we're satisfied to obey? And this is what God began to uncover in, in my heart as I began to process. I think there's a word that I would use, I would call this spiritual greed. And no, it's not money, it's maybe probably in the line of possession. How often are we never satisfied to the point of obedience and yet we still long to hear more biblical truth? I do this often. Let me say it like this. How, how many times have I sat in a space just like this where I've logged on on the many online options and I've listened to the teaching of God's word all the while having no intention of actually doing anything of what's being taught? This is, this is spiritual greed. And yet we, we say things like, oh, that's a, that's a good word, pastor, and then leave and, and we never repent. Well, that was, that was some good worship today and, and we walk out the doors and never surrender our lives. That was, a, that was a powerful teaching today and then we completely forget that week what God spoke to us to actually do. And so we say more, more, more. Never satisfied to the point of obedience, but always hungry for more. You know, Matthew 5, verse 14 says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But the lampstand, but put it on a lampstand and, gives, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is at heaven. You know, disciple-making, as, as a disciple of Jesus, we're given the light of Christ, not to hide, but to take it out into a dark world. Pastor Marvin shared last week about what does this dark world look like? And these are, these are the very words of Jesus. You and I, the, the Christ follower, is the light of Jesus. The disciple of Jesus is the light of the world. We're to take this light out into the world and to multiply it, to take what God has given us and, and let, let the light of Jesus shine in our own hearts and, and find healing and, and wholeness and then take that same light out into another broken world and allow them to see the light of Christ as well. We're not to hoard the truth. We're not to give me more, give me more, give me more. 
And the reality is, is, is this is why Jesus says the church is here. If we, if we look at Mark chapter 16 and you would say, well, how do we come to the conclusion that we exist to make disciples? Well, Jesus gave us this command, every Christ follower. Mark says like this, go into the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news of what, what Jesus has done, his creation, our rebellion, his, his rescuing us, and one day he'll come again to restore. Go tell people that good news. Actually use your words to tell them that story. Use your life to live that story and be present. Incarnate just like Jesus came and lived as a man. Live in the darkness because you're light in the darkness. So Mark would say that the Great Commission is to go preach the gospel. Matthew 28, as we look at verse 18, would say, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey, not just know, but to obey the commands that I have taught you. If we combine these together, we could say that the Great Commission, the reason you and I are here on the planet right now, the reason Jesus didn't just take us off the planet to live with him in heaven, is because we are called to preach the gospel and make disciples of those that believe that message having been disciples ourselves. It's like, it's like a light. We're given a light and this light shines in our heart and it might be I walk in and, and I hear a good word, pastor, and, and, and this light, yeah, it, it, it talks to me about a husband. And, and I see the light in my heart and God shines in my heart of all how I need to just surrender my own selfishness. And, and wow, man, and there's some things I need to turn and repent of. And, and I'm to take this light out and I'm to go out into a dark world. And, and when I recognize that there's darkness, that, that the light that Christ has given in my heart can shine on, I'm supposed to take this light out. But, but how often do I say, oh, that, that's a good word, pastor. And I put that light in my pocket and I hide it. And then I come back, give me more. And, and, and this light is, oh, you can experience God in a tangible, in a real way. And you can know his love in ways that, that you just didn't. Oh, that's a, that's a good word, Pastor. I want to take that light. And I, I put it in my pocket and I, I keep that light there. I might need that at some point, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, I've, I've got a, another light. We come and, hey, this is, this is what it looks like to be single. And this is what it looks like to trust God no matter what. You're not alone. You, your father sees you, right? I take that light and, and, I, and I put that light in my pocket. That's it right there. I, th I'm going to need that someday. Thank you for that. That's a good word. Uh, you know, we get a light and, 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 and like, this is what it looks like to be a husband. This is what it looks like to, to, to be an honoring worker in your, in your place where you don't steal from someone and, and you do what's expected of you. I take that light and I, I put it in my pocket. This is, a, this is a light of, I don't have to live with shame and, and, and guilt anymore. Like I can be forgiven, I can be free. I'm, I'm gonna put that light in my pocket. I definitely need that someday. And, 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 and there's another one and, and, and oh, here, here's this one. I remember this one because I was sitting right over there and my father told me that I'm seen and my father told me that, that, that I am forgiven and my father told me he loves me and I remember that light. I'm gonna put that in my pocket and make sure, make sure I don't forget that one, right? And we do this and we, we say more and more and we have all these lights and we just begin to, to receive the light, right? And we, we've got them in our pocket and we, we wanna make sure that we don't forget, give me more and, and like I can raise children that, that love me and I, I don't have to, to live in hopelessness and, and I, I can commune with my father in prayer. Oh, that, that's good. Like I, I can be forgiven. I, I can find grace. I can, I can do all these things and I'm, I'm putting light after light in my pocket, right? And, and as I continue to do this, I'm, I'm going out in a dark world and instead of shining, in the light, I've got them in my pockets and eventually I just look like a weirdo with a bunch of lights in my pocket and I can't figure out why people think I'm, I'm just strange and weird, right? And I've got, got all these lights. Some of these are hot, by the way. Uh, and instead of being a light in the world, 
The temptation in, in really sometimes in the American church is, is the spiritual greed. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. That's a good word, Pastor. Preach it. That, that, that's, that's a good worship. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about light. It shines brightest in the darkness. And we're not called to, to hide it under a bushel. We're called to multiply. That as the light shines in my own heart and, and transforms and makes me more of the image of Jesus, I'm, I'm to go out. You, you struggle with anger. Man, let me, tell you, let me tell you, friend, that's where I was. Man, I was, I was afraid. I, I couldn't stop hurting people that loved me. I couldn't stop hurting people that I loved. And, and I, I was afraid of myself. But let me tell you, Jesus can set you free of that. And I go out and I, and I put that light out into a dark world because the light of Christ is given to me. Let me tell you, friend, I know divorce hurts. I know it's a big deal. I know that pain is real. I know it's like, it's like two pieces of paper being torn apart. They're never clean if they were glued together, if they were joined as one. And I, I know that hurts. Look, I'm, I'm here. Let's, what, is, what does Jesus have to say about you? He still wants you. He hasn't given up on you. This is the light of it's Christmas time, and maybe you're a father, and you would say, oh, and this just reminds me of what I don't have for my family. But you know what? I have everything I need because Christ is more than enough. And, and maybe, maybe, friend, that's what you relate to. So I go out in the dark world and I take that light and, and I take the light of Christ and I put it there so that, that his light can shine in the dark places. And no longer just in my pockets and, and holding. We're called to multiply. We're called to, to take that light into the darkness. You, you're struggling with depression and you don't even know why. You know what? Jesus can break that. You know, you're, you're struggling with pain and hurts and, and you've had abuse in your life. You know what? That's not something that you have, to, you have to hang on to. Yeah, this one, this one means a lot to me. I was on my way to prison. I was on my way to to beating to death the woman I love, but you know what, he set me free, and I'm telling you, he can do the same thing for you, and I go out into the darkness, and, and, and I put that light out, and we're called to, to multiply, right? We're called to multiply, not, not just hoard spiritually, and, and light goes everywhere, and here's the thing. There might be 20 lights right here. Multiplied. As we look around in this space here this morning, They shine brightest in the darkness. Maybe there's a couple hundred people in this room. Maybe there's been 500 plus on this weekend. What does it look like if we all were lights in a dark world? Or is the temptation there to just hoard it? Give me more. Give me more. I'll put that in my pocket. It's just for me. God and I, we feel great. We feel good. You know, Jesus doesn't have a category of all, what could be referred to as, as kind of the Americanized Christian. There's no category of a person who would say, I'm a Christ follower. I just don't surrender and repent and do anything that he asked me to do. But I do come to church. I do... I do worship and raise my hands. I, sometimes I might read my Bible, but I don't, I don't tell anyone. I don't want to be seen as weird. 
I don't want the light to, to, to be snuffed out by the darkness. If I get too close, it'll rub off on me. The world would say light and dark are two equal forces and you just never know who's going to win out. Even Elon Musk cannot make a flash dark. Light will always repel the darkness. Always. That's just how good our God is. That's just how big our God is. Light can't be quenched by the darkness. And so as we say, okay, you're, yeah. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm to take your light out. We, Trinity, have to answer this question. We really do. And I think the American church probably struggles with this question more than anything. Are we going to continue his mission to multiply? Or are we gonna hold up shop? Are we gonna stay in that upper room be happy with the songs we sing, be happy with the, the words we use, and never leave to find a Pentecost, never, never even pray and desire and passionately seek what his spirit would do among us so that our light, his light in us, could be in a dark world. We are either disciples of Jesus or we are not Christ followers. We might be religious at times, we might know all the right words and actually Jesus would say that that is a Pharisee. And I hold this light because I'm just as guilty. And yet Jesus has set us free. There is no guilt and shame that we have to hold on to. And if you're sitting here in this moment and, and you're, you're playing the list of failures and the playing the list of, of how you don't add up and you don't measure up, let me just tell you, that's not the voice of your father. Because it is not my light in me, it is his light in me. And his light is powerful. His light is powerful to change. His light is powerful to shine in the darkest of places without fear. So as we, as we kind of process, okay, Dave, and what does it look like to be free from, from greed? I just want to give us a few simple things as we, as we wind down. I think as we, as we recognize this primary truth, this is, this is helpful in the pursuit of, okay, God, what, what does it look like for me to fully surrender to you? How, how are we free from greed? The first thing is this, we, we have to realize that everything we have comes from God. So whether greed for you looks like money or possessions or something different, everything that I have, it comes from God. James 1.7 would say every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, within whom there is no variation or shadow or change. And so, yeah, we, we do have financial opportunities to give. You can partner with what God is doing here, and you can give uh, in the giving boxes. You can give online. Uh, you can partner with some opportunities that you'll hear more about over this Christmas season that we're going to continue Christmas through uh, 365 days a year because that's who Jesus is. You can, you can be part of those opportunities, but it's not really because of a need or it's not really just because of guilt or shame. Those aren't, those aren't reasons that we give. 
We give because he gave of himself the very best of all things and we are responding to what he has done and who he is. So we're talking about greed. We probably can't do that with at least mentioning money. You might say, Dave, okay, all right, fine. Like, what about tithing? Like, is it 10%? Is, is tithing even in the New Testament? You know, if you add all the, the Old Testament up, it's something like 23%. Well, what, what should I give there? What are you saying? Well, let's just put that aside for a minute because I'll say this. We could argue all day about 10%, 20%, whatever. But from Genesis to Revelation is the generosity of God that we cannot ignore. And, and I would say this, I love, I, I think Pastor Marvin said it like this, I think we should give till it hurts. What is it? We should give till it's actually a sacrifice, right? So if for me, if, if my financial giving at 1% hurts and requires me to give up something of myself, fine, I'm, I, I, there's no law and, and, and we could argue all day, but I think the generosity looks like give till it hurts. For you, 10%, 20% might not even hurt. Whatever that looks like, Let's not get, get lost in numbers, and this isn't a ploy for, for like, hey, give us an offering right now. And I, I would also say this, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, because this is the other side of the coin. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you have the angst right now that says, see, I, I knew when we went to that Trinity, they were just after my money. God loves a cheerful giver. If you're not there right now, hang on to what you have. We're not after your money. God's after your heart. And so whatever that looks like in whatever time and season that is for you, whatever it looks like to give till it hurts, ask the Lord to reveal that to you and act on that. Number two. I think is we want to be free from, from living in, in the kind of the spiritual greed area. I think we need to ask God to give us empathy for others. And this is a truth that I've experienced so many times, a, a truth that I don't like. I don't like this. Often God will use the worst things that happen in my life so that I could actually understand what someone else is going through when the worst things are happening in theirs. And that often means that there are things that I have to wrestle through and get to the other side. And, and I just want, I want to be delivered from that. I don't want any pain and sorrow and those kinds of, but those are the places that on the other side, I'm a, I'm a different person. And when someone says, yeah, I'm hurting, instead of me saying, hey, great, good to see you. I just said, hi, that was too much, right? I stop and actually listen and have compassion. But that is the Holy Spirit in us. So to say, God, help us see people like you see people. That's only a work of his spirit. Ask God to give us empathy for others. Greed is the fruit that reveals our incapacity to see the situations and genuine needs of others. Empathy is the heart that allows us to view our resources as tools of love to provide for others. And then lastly, and this is where we'll close, live out of extravagant generosity because our God is extravagantly generous. You know, what I didn't tell you about the motorcycle story is in 2006, when I had been riding for a while, I actually said to myself, and, and I, I remember telling Bethany about this, you know, if we ever had a little extra money, I know we got kids now, but like, if we were ever to have a little extra money uh, and I could buy a motorcycle, I would actually buy, it was 2006, a VTX Honda 1300C. I would prefer it to be red. I like the fender on the, the front of uh, the way the, the fender is on the Honda and the 1300C version. 
Uh, fast forwarding to today, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't but a couple of years ago, a person here at Trinity that we just didn't have a lot of relationship at that time said, hey, I want to get together with you. And, and you know how when someone, and I don't mean anything bad by this, but when someone you don't know is like, hey, I want to get together, you're immediately thinking, are they selling me Amway, right? And you're trying to think, oh, I don't know if I want to say yes or not, right? Um, but, but we just were like, okay, yeah. Um, and that person said, hey, I just felt like God told me to, to give you this. And they gave me a 2006 VTX 1300C red Honda motorcycle. Now, hear me. I gave a motorcycle. Did God owe me a motorcycle? No, no, no. He was interested in my heart. Was that extravagant? Yes. Is a motorcycle a first world problem? Yes, yes, yes. Is it a need? No, it is absolutely not a need. But I'm telling you what, every time I get on that motorcycle, I don't think, look at me, how awesome. I think, and I remember to myself, wow, God asked for something that I just couldn't let go of. And this is a reminder of his extravagant love and goodness for just me personally. That's not a formula that we follow. God is just, he's not enough, he's too much, right? So we live in love out of extravagant generosity. Let your light shine. He gave his very best in Jesus for you and I. And he didn't do it for a semi-clean people who kind of liked God, but we just weren't sure. He did it for you and I who are literally rebelling in such a way that we murdered our Savior. And don't kid yourself, if I were there, if you were there, if we all stood there, we would be right in the crowd cheering and calling for, for a, a sinner to be set free in Barabbas while our Savior hung upon that cross. And what did Jesus say? Father, we'll get him later for this. No, he didn't. Father, forgive him. They don't even know what they're doing. That's extravagant, completely undeserved. Even when we didn't realize the need, he filled it. That's how good our God is. That's the reflection that you and I should have in a dark world. I don't know what that looks like for you. Dave, is this easy? No. I don't know what the implications of, of moving from, I don't want to just gather more lights and more lights and more lights and never shine them. I want, to be, I want to be a person who is a light to a dark world. That requires me to give up some things. I don't know what all those answers mean, but I do know that every step that I take toward Christ, he's there. Okay, this is what I need you to do next. And I don't know what your next step would be, but I know it's not taking more lights and hiding it in our pockets. It's shining the light of Christ in an extravagant way. And I want us to close with this. We're going to take just, just a minute of, of silence here this morning. And I just ask that we, we do our best just to, to respect just quiet in this morning. And as we do, here's the purpose of this. I want you to do business with God on your, on your behalf and to ask God, what is he speaking to you this morning? And here's a couple questions that, that I would, I would uh, encourage you to wrestle with. And you might ask in this moment, God, what, what acts of generosity are you asking me to walk out right now? I don't know what that is for you. You might ask the Lord, where, where have I chosen not to let my light shine that I know I need to let my light shine? Where have I hidden it in my, my pockets that I need to take it out? God, would you show that to me? Maybe God would ask you to let go of something that you, you're gripping tighter on today. I don't know what that would be for you. But just 
just in a minute, I know sometimes it's awkward and weird, but you know what? The presence of God is here. His Holy Spirit is living within you. And I'm just going to ask that we just bow our heads for a minute. What acts of generosity might he be asking you? Where have you chosen not to let your light shine that maybe, maybe it's time you do? Maybe he's asking you to let go of something, whatever that might be. Let's just take a minute of silence and just ask God to reveal to you whatever he might be speaking to you and then we'll close our time. just like to invite our elders and our prayer team if you could come down now. And as they're coming, just close our time in prayer this morning and yeah. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we, we do not have to pick up guilt and shame. And that it was for freedom you have set us free. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, there was no Pentecost without an upper room first. And I pray that you would unify in a way that makes no human sense from Trinity Church. And I pray, God, that you would, you would deposit a desperate cry for you in our hearts. Something that would be, uh, Lord, just the realization that we can do nothing apart from you. So perhaps it's time to stop trying. Holy Spirit, as you have spoken in this place, would you continue to, to bring action to what you're calling provision? I pray for my friends here today, Lord. I know sometimes Christmas and the season can be hard for various reasons, but you are near. You came near to us as a baby to, to be born to die, Lord, and the remembrance that you took our place on that cross and you set us free, God. So I pray for my friends that you would fill us fresh, new, Give us selfless hearts as you have demonstrated to us. Make us like you. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, we have prayer team down if you'd like prayer.